0: couple weeks I was talking with a fellow who has uh, children that are teenagers getting ready close to graduation and uh, he was not I would not characterize him as a, as a believing man um, but he was talking about his uh, philosophy of children and uh, we were talking about being involved in martial arts which is he and his family are and he said you know one of the good things about this and is uh, it's kept my kids busy and they've, uh, they don't get in trouble because they're busy doing martial arts and they're respectful. And so I couldn't ask for anything more, that they stay out of trouble and that they're respectful. And I thought about that statement that he was making, that this is uh, his measurement of um, success, is that the children are respectful and they stay out of trouble. Now, having two young boys five and three, I can appreciate that. Uh, I, I am thankful every day uh, that they have, that one, that they're alive at the end of the day. Uh, that's one of my 10,000 reasons at the end of the day uh, they're still alive. Thank you, Lord. Um, and uh, that there is some measure of respect we're working on. Uh, and, you know, when we have uh, children of uh, close to teenage, preteen, and five and three boys, they, you know, you thank God for that. Uh, and so I don't want to sell that short. Uh, Yeah, I I want them to be respectful, and I want them to stay out of trouble. Uh, But I I thought, is that really what I'm shooting for, my aim? And so on Mother's Day, I want to just look at Scripture and think about what is our aim for those of us who are involved in in, uh, bringing up children. Um, And even if you're not involved in bringing up children... I want to just challenge you. Is this your aim personally? Okay? Uh, and if your aim is just stay out of trouble, be respectful, I'd say, well, thank God. But there's more to it. There's more to it. And so uh, we're we're in 2 Timothy. We've been studying 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And uh, a couple passages in 2 Timothy are, are probably one of the premier texts preached on Mother's Day, uh, one of which we covered last week. And In fact, I believe it's at the front of your bulletin uh, in in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, referring to verse 5, the sincere faith of your mother and your grandmother. And so what I'd like for us to do is is, uh, go back to that verse, 2 Timothy 1.5, but I also want to bring to your attention uh, another passage in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 that speaks, I believe, to the same two individuals in Timothy's life, the mother and grandmother, Uh, and you'll see that passage. Uh, In 2 Timothy chapter 3, especially uh, in verse 14 and 15, that you see these. And so we're going to put these two texts together. Uh, First one that we already read, I'll just remind you, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And You skip a page over, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. But as for you, continue what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you le- learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now these two passages are powerful passages, and they will, they will preach, as us uh, pastors will tend to say, on their own. But for us to appreciate the real message that is around this, and I think the point of what these verses are given, it is necessary for us to read some of the context of these verses. And on these own, these two, two passages, you would think, I'm going I'm to bookmark these. Are, good job, Pastor. You picked out some good verses for Mother's Day. Uh, but if you notice the title of the sermon, it, has, it seems to have a, a more dark tone to it uh, that's, that's found there. Uh, and I think that's from Scripture itself. And so what I'd like for us to do is read some of the surrounding verses with these that we just read. So in honor of this being God's word, we're going to stand as we read this together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. We'll read through verse 8. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And it continues on talking about God. But if we'll flip over to chapter 3, and instead of just reading verse 14, I think maybe let's read verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned, and have firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. What I'd like to highlight to you by reading the context, of some of the context verses around that, is that the passages referring to mothers and what mothers bring to a young man in Timothy were given in the context of suffering. What does that mean? That in both passages in 2 Timothy that the reference to the mother and grandmother is done, both of them, in reference to suffering as a believer in Christ Jesus. The point I would bring to you is that as a mother in Christ, your job is to prepare your children for suffering in Christ. Now, I know this is going against the grain of what mothers do typically we are the are the mothers are the comforters the nurturers they're the ones who teach the children how to stay alive how to and and dad's mm, iffy (laughs) but mothers are the ones who teach the children how to stay alive nurture them comfort them but here paul is telling timothy Remember what your mom told you. Remember what she taught in order to deal with the suffering that I am bringing to you or I am appealing to you not to be ashamed of, to step in. In fact, when we read the entire letter of 2 Timothy, something jumps at you. You come to the conclusion that the whole point is, of the book is for paul to encourage timothy to step in with him in suffering for christ in fact just read with me if you will as i kind of go and skip through the book notice in chapter 1 verse 16 after all that we've already read may the lord grant mercy to the household of anisiris for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Chapter 2, verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he elaborates on what it means to be a soldier. Chapter 2, verse 9. Referring to Christ Jesus and the gospel, for which I am suffering. Bound with chains as a as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Verse fifteen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman, a worker who need has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. Then verse 24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil. Chapter three. Verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. At Antioch, and Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. And then, verse 12, what we read, all who desire to live Godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelists, fulfill your ministry for i am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come i have fought the good fight i have finished the race i have kept the faith verse 16 at my first defense no one came to stand by me but all deserted me may it not be charged against them you see time after time in this book there's this refrain as paul is in prison in prison writing this letter thinking about why he is in prison and who is there and who is not there and there is this plea Timothy step in with me don't be ashamed of enduring the things that I endure don't be afraid of suffering and interesting enough in this letter this appeal for Timothy to embrace the suffering uh, that's found in Christ he appeals to the memory of his mom and his grandma to help With that. And so that lets me know. And lets us know. Mothers in Christ. Prepare your children to suffer for Christ. Now I wanted to share with you three uh, ways that's done. I believe according to these two passages together. The things that Paul points to. Verse 5. If we're going to prepare our children to. To suffer for Christ, therefore, teach them in faith. Teach them in faith. Notice in verse 5, what does he remind Timothy of? He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That, In other words, faith without any mixture of hypocrisy. It is a true, genuine faith that he calls to his mind. A faith that first dwelt in your mother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. And so he reminds them, think about the faith. And so as mothers, people who influence others, are you teaching faith? That's the question that you have to ask yourself in preparing your child for suffering. We're going to talk about uh, how that may be more and more in America in just a little bit. But just know in your mind, if you're going to prepare your child to suffer in Christ, they must ...understand faith, that you trust in Christ. And that's not something that you just tell them, is it? You can't just tell them, well, you know what, child, you're just going to have to trust in the Lord. They have to see you trusting in the Lord as you live your life. Do they see that? Are they they able to have that modeled in front of you? I think about James. Because in James chapter 1, it it just lets us know, in James chapter 1, he says... Count it all joy, brothers, when you are endure sufferings or various trials of all types, <laughs> and, and it talks about why. Because this testing of the faith produces uh, st- uh, steadfastness. And one of the things that we learned when we looked at James is that the, the person who's going through various trials can only count it as joy when they desire Jesus more than anything else. And so that is what faith is. Faith is to say, I'm going to treasure Christ and everything that comes my way. And then the difficulty and the challenges, because the, the fact is, we learn more and we can display more about what we believe in times of hardship. Do we display that we trust in Christ in that moment in time? It's interesting that... Uh, you know, children, when they're hurting, usually call out for mama. I, you know, I try, intervene, and, you know, I'm trying to give them whether you want, a band-aid. And he's like, no, I want mama. You know, they don't want a band-aid. Band-aid's good, but, you know, mama's better. Um, and, and it's interesting how that tends to stay with people. There are reports, some of you may have experienced this, but even in the battlefield, when... Soldiers are dying, that there's the cries of mother still. Isn't that interesting how that stays with a person throughout their life? And it could very well be that the mom's long gone, but in a time of difficulty, of pain, of crying, there is a plea for mom, because what does the memory of mom bring? Some sense of comfort. Someone who cares. But dear mothers, let your children, when they reflect on you, also see the strength of where your life comes from. That when they cry out, Mom, that they learn faith and trust in God. So mothers, sometimes it's not just enough to put a band-aid. It's to say, you know what, let's pray together. Let us thank God that something worse didn't happen you're still alive but also let's uh, ask for God's healing in your life and to teach that child what you trust and in whom you trust. Therefore, teach them in faith because when it's said and done, you won't continue. You will die and Lord willing, they will continue on after you, and the other people in their life will fail them. But if you can teach them to point and trust in Jesus Christ, they have something to hold on to that's worth enduring suffering about. That in that time of persecution, the time when it's hard and difficult, when people look down on them because of what they believe, that they are not ashamed because they trust in Christ. Teach them and faith so we go down to verse 6 I believe the scripture points out another important resource in which mothers if you're going to prepare your children to suffer in Christ that you must teach them in verse 6 he says for this reason I mind you to fan and to flame the gift of God and I believe the gift of God of which he's referring to is the Holy Spirit because in verse 7 he then talks about God gave us a spirit not a fear of power of love and self control but if you read on down to verse 8 Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony by our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Mothers, teach your children in the Holy Spirit. Now, what's key in this is that you don't just depend on your mothering instinct, but you teach on a spiritual instinct, which requires that you submit all that you are to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He is Lord. And He doesn't take a back seat. He doesn't say, you know what, okay, you put all these other things in front, and then I'll just kind of complement and supplement. I'll be as a life supplement to you. That is not the role of God. That's the role of vitamins. Okay? Not the role of God. And so, for us to be submissive to the Spirit is to say, I want to take my future, I want to take my home, I want to take my children, and I submit them to God so that the Spirit of God will fill my life, that He will be Lord of my life, that I surrender this to the Lord because I know the greatest thing that my child needs is love of God Working through me. Interesting enough. That the only way that can happen. Is by surrendering your children. To the Lord. Surrendering your future. Your home. To the Lord. To teach them. What it is. To be in the power. Of the Holy Spirit. And the thing about this. Is it's not. It's not. (laughs) Sometimes we think about. Working in God's spirit. And the power of God. and, And sometimes we have. Visions of uh, miraculous things happen of of services where people are getting healed, and we we have all these type of visions, and, and those things do happen. But sometimes, and and perhaps maybe the more prevalent way of demonstrating the power of God's Spirit is in the utterly mundane part of life, because that's the life we live. It is to sometimes say instead of lashing out in anger, is to pray for them and love them, and be kind to them still, and. Mothers and dads, don't you know that is just as much a miracle for us And the mundane part of life? And that we surrender to God's Spirit and let God's Spirit work in us. We teach them in the Holy Spirit so that when the child sees us working in life and we've learned love, we're learning joy, we're learning the power of God, we're learning self-control, we learn these things... That they take that same power of God to say, like the disciples said to Jesus, you know what, teach us how to pray. Teach us this power of the Lord working in your life. So that they learn that because it's modeled in front of them. I think about Romans chapter 14, verse 17 and 18. In that passage, it says something very fascinating. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And this passage is done in light of personal convictions. Some of us have convict- convict- convictions about what to eat, what to drink, what days to celebrate, things to, uh, what, things to wear, different things like that. <clears throat> what he's saying is, okay, that's great, but the kingdom of God is not made of these things. But the kingdom of God is of righteousness, peace, and joy, and the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, verse 18. What is the kingdom of God? It is of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. So when I look at that passage and I say, what am I going to teach my children about the kingdom of God? Okay, I'm going to teach them about things to eat, things to drink, things not to eat, things not to drink, what we celebrate, how we uh, wear, uh, w- how we come across to people, what good habits, what bad habits. But above all things, when I look at the kingdom of God, are they also learning righteousness, peace, and joy and the Holy Spirit? Paul is bringing out, well, you know what? That kind of trumps what we wear and drink. Righteousness, peace, and joy, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this because I, I, I'm i living it. It's hard with the family of sinners to have righteousness, peace, and joy. Isn't it? Can I get an amen? Is that just me? <laughs> It's hard to have righteousness, peace, and joy with a family of sinners. So, in the Holy Spirit, mothers and dads and anyone else, we submit to the God Spirit, and we're going to depend on God's Spirit in working and changing a child's life. That doesn't mean necessarily that I don't say anything. But I know that the root of the problem, and therefore the root of the answer isn't going to be What dad says or what mom says, even if she screams it, that's not going to solve it. But it's going to be what the spirit of God does in that child. And to teach that child. Go to God. With that rotten attitude. Talk to him about it. And pray for God's dealing in that. And so teach that child that as they leave the home they have the Holy Spirit with them and they learn what it means to obey the Spirit of God. To teach them that. And so teach them in the Holy Spirit so that when times come, when they have to suffer for Christ, they depend on the resources that they've learned to depend on all their life in the Holy Spirit. Paul is reminding Timothy about this. But let's go on to chapter 3. This is the verse 12, the probably one of the least light promises of God. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I was thinking about this, that the point of emphasis is living a godly life, not knowledge of a godly life. And too many times I think the Christian subculture of America has been content with knowledge about godly life and very little living of godly life. Persecution comes when people live godly. When people obey what God has directed them. I was thinking about some of the least persecuted places. Of course, America comes to mind. As not much persecution for believers. But did you know that Saudi Arabia also has very little persecution of believers? What do you mean? Well, for persecution to take place, there has to be someone who follows Christ who will speak up for Christ and obey Christ. If there's no one speaking up for Christ and obeying him, there's not much persecution done. The effect of it has already been carried out. There's not many in Saudi Arabia who will speak up for Christ. There's not many who are there that would do it and live it out. That's why I say there's very little persecution for Christ's sake. Because there's not many Christians. So when I come to America and I say, well, why is there very little persecution? Well, because the Christian subculture has essentially volunteered their silence. What do I mean by silence? Living it out. Obeying what God has said. Not just speaking the name of the Lord. not, Not just praying before they eat. Not just saying I'm going to go to church or that I'm a Christian. Not just professing it. There there is a multitude of profession in Christ. But the point of verse 12 is that they live a godly life. Why is there persecution when the believers are voluntarily not living a godly life? Now, as we keep on reading in this passage, it says, Keep on reading. Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. So, when you reject Christ as your Lord, do not be surprised with the progressions that people go down. And it is prophesied that we should not be surprised that times get worse. People get worse. In the first part of chapter 3... There's a whole listing of sins, of a, kind of a, a, a dissection of the end of the age, of what sins will be prevalent. And then in chapter 3, the part we just read in verse 13, he says, These sins will get worse. They're going to get worse and worse because they're going to get blind and they cannot see the truth from sin. I remember um, my granddad, uh, he was, uh, became a believer during World War II, uh, in, in the in the '40s, and I remember, at a young age, one time we were sitting there at dinner. And he made this statement it kind of struck me. He said, "I'm afraid, I'm afraid for what you, referring to the grandchildren, will have to go through in our country." And, and he, you know, he died in in 2005, and so this this conversation probably took place in the in the '80s, in the mid to late '80s. Um, this is when president reagan was president <laughs> you know uh statements like this that he said the things that i'm seeing i'm afraid for you of what you have to endure and i looked at that and i heard this statement i think what's he talking about i don't get it here's why he had seen an age that i had never seen and so that the age that he saw that was progressively worse in our country as far as morality goes He had some standard of comparison. I did not. And so I could never say, oh, these are bad days. I said, these days are good to me. So understand that as you and I who are older look at the age that we live in and we say, I never would have dreamed that these days would be as bad as they are. What is it going to be like for my children growing up? If I say that to my children, they have no clue what I'm talking about. This is the age they live in. They don't have a standard of comparison. They don't see how fast things have gone in the last 20 years. And what's scary is that it seems like the last two years have increased in, in acceleration in immorality that just is, is staggering my mind a little bit. And I've always been somewhat thinking okay it's going to go bad but it's it staggered me with how fast that's the case evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived and so as i look at it much like my granddad did and i don't think he was off and wrong when he was saying i i'm looking at it now and saying if my children are going to live for christ if they live for christ There is not a shadow of a doubt that they will endure persecution for Christ's sake. And I can say in my lifetime, if I'm going to live for Christ, live a godly life, I'm going to endure persecution. Sometimes we get so blinded by the past, we can't see the future. I think that often is the case, but here's the point is that God has never been daunted with how bad life gets. God is always working, and he's working through his people. Even if it's a small remnant, God is still at work. When Elijah is saying, there's no one that lives for you, God is saying, you know what, Elijah, there are 700 faithful to me still. That is the working of the Lord. But here's the state of things that we find ourselves today. As we look at this going from worse to worse, we are seeing statements from people who are making what I would call biblically accurate evaluations of behavior and they are getting pummeled by people. Many of you have heard about the issue of Jason Collins and his statement of NBA basketball player and Chris Broussard of the ESPN uh, sports writer. Um, Basically, Jason Collins has had this a statement of um, a revelation of, of where he is in his life and um, uh, his 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 direction with his sexual orientation and um, his his choices there and so there's this applause of people saying you're brave to be able to state that Chris Broussard comes on and as an ESPN uh, reporter in a, a show um makes some statements uh, let me just read some of what he he said he said personally i don't believe that you can live an openly homosexual lifestyle or an openly like premarital sex between herital sexuals if you're openly living that type of lifestyle then the bible says you know them by the fruits it says that you know that it's a sin He said if you're openly living an unrepented sin whatever it may be not just homosexuality adultery fornication Uh, premarital sex, whatever it may be, I believe that's walking in open rebellion to God and to Jesus Christ. So I would not characterize that person as a Christian because I don't believe that Bible would characterize them as a Christian. And he's making a statement that I would agree with. The Bible teaches that. And And he's going across the board with that. But then after making a statement, he just gets pummeled. And people calling for his resignations, saying so he should he should never be in this position of influence to to make such statements. And I ask the question: which takes more courage to come out of the closet with being a Christian who believes the Bible are where your preferences are when it comes to marriage and sexual orientation. came across a an article that was written by a number of uh, people with the title reverend beside of it It it's found in the Washington Post uh, just recently and basically he's there the title of it is it's okay to be gay and a Christian and a list of about a dozen different pastors, different denominations writing this, this letter. They're encouraging the media to report the reality that an increasing number of people of faith, including many Christians, are embracing and supporting their LGBT friends and family. What's well, fine? Support them. You ought to. You you want to love them, support them, you want to pray for them. They do so not despite their faith, but because of it. Okay, yes, the Scripture has commanded us to love people and to love all people because all people are sinners, and so we do. But their point is, that includes don't calling them sinners. And that's the problem. I'm calling myself a sinner. And it's not a position of i'm higher than you to call you a sinner i'm just stating a fact of what scripture brings out and that i'm lumped in there and the only difference is the saving grace of god that comes to people who are humble enough to admit that this is a sin is a sin and they need forgiveness and they need the grace of god and that is the linchpin of salvation that is the point of christ jesus If if these things are not sins then what is the point of jesus dying on the cross and it's just the reality that we live in a day and age that when we state things that are from the Bible, if we just simply read, read the Bible, do so with a platform of influence where other people can hear it, then it requires great courage because you will endure opposition. And here's the point. Well, do it. So what? do it. It has been promised from a long time ago that anyone who will live godly in Christ Jesus will endure persecution. And sometimes we read these things and then think, well, you know, these persons, these people are just being jerks and how they do it and and they deserve some of the things that they're doing or getting. But the things I'm reading out today are not people who are trying to be insensitive. They're trying to be sensitive. They're trying to demonstrate love and they're just trying to accurately demonstrate the Bible and They are lumped in with people who are just mean and jerks about it. That's the world we live in. It's different. It's different from how a 38-year-old grew up. It's certainly different from how some of you who are older grew up. It's the world we live in. It's the world my children are growing up in. And it's what they see as always been there. Always been normal. For most of us, that's not. But for them, yeah, that's always been there. The the thing is, is are we going to teach them, though, to say, you know what? There is a Holy Spirit. There is faith. And we want to walk in the Holy Spirit. We want to walk in faith. And then as we keep on reading, there's a third resource that we need to teach our children to bring to their attention as mothers. Mothers, prepare your children to suffer in Christ Jesus because suffering is the stamp that they are in Christ Jesus. Do you want your children to be in Christ Jesus? Then it all comes with it. It comes with the package. You're going to endure. You're going to be persecuted. If you want your children just to stay out of trouble, be respectful, then there probably won't be much persecution in their life. But if you want them to be in Christ Jesus, Paul has promised that will come with persecution so prepare them how do you do that well we'll read verse 14 but as for you continue hold on remain in what you've learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it the whom is plural he's referring most probably to his mom and his grandma remember what you've learned from them now, again, I've brought to your attention last week that uh, evidently Timothy's dad was just out of the picture. Uh, we, we learned in Acts 16.1 uh, that Paul came to Derby in and Listery and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And what's implied in that was that he probably was not a believer. And so the teaching that he got, he got from one woman and her mom. Those of you who are single uh, and going about this task of mothering with a, uh, as a single woman, and it is an extreme challenge, but I look at this passage and I see it can be done. God gives you grace. God gives you grace. He knows what you can do. Do what you can do. Do what you can do and let God do the rest. And so that's what these two women did, Lois and Eunice. But what did they do? They taught them the scriptures. They taught them the scriptures. See that in verse 15. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I think about Mary. You know what I love about this is that scripture doesn't take us down the road. That Jesus himself and his family didn't go down. Mary comes in and. Wonders that all the things that are happening, and and shepherds are coming in and and worshiping the baby as she's being born. The angel angels are giving the message saying that his name is going to be Jesus because he's the savior. They'll take away the sins of the world, and she's got all these things. And Luke tells us that Mary ponders all these things. She reflects and brings them all together, and it stays in her mind. And as she goes and and Luke and and talks with Simeon at the temple, he he gives this dire word of just saying how this child is going to be for the rising and falling of many and there's going to be opposition against him and then he looks at her and your soul will be pierced also i think god was putting mary on notice prepare the son jesus to suffer mothers women We read this passage and it's as if Simeon is calling out to you and saying, if your son, if your daughter will live in Christ Jesus, prepare for their souls to be pierced, your soul to be pierced also. Are we prepared for that? One of the greatest ways to deal with that is going back to the Holy Spirit, of righteousness, joy, joy and peace in the holy spirit what's the point of peace the point of peace isn't just to make you feel good and you can take pain medicine and be at peace all right it's not just to help you deal with pain the point of peace is to help you endure suffering and glorify god what is the point of joy The point of joy is not just so you have a happy smile and that you look pleasing. The point of joy is that you can glorify God when things are taken from you. When even your bodily health is taken from you, that you can still glorify God. That is a divine gift of joy in your life. Of righteousness is given to you so that when people are unrighteous and mean towards you, that you can glorify God and show his nature in the face of that. The kingdom of God is of righteousness, peace, and joy, and the Holy Spirit. But how does that child know about it? How do you know about it? How, how will you have access to that? We learn this through God's word. Through God's word. Verse 15. And from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise For salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That the word of God plus trusting in it can bring salvation. It teaches you about God's grace. And so as Paul is writing this, he knows that as he writes this, that that there is going to be a supernatural empowering of the things that Timothy is reading. That's incredible. Mother... Do you know that by mothering your child in the Holy Spirit, in faith, in Scripture, that you become a divine means of grace to help that child walk with the Lord? You are a tool of God. A tool of God that will be evident when your child suffers in Christ. You go on and read that verse and verse 16 and 17 all scriptures given by inspiration from god and prop for doctrine for reproof, for correction for instruction and in righteousness that the man of god might be perfect or thoroughly furnished into all good works if you're going to teach your children to eat green vegetables teach them to read god's word all right it goes hand in hand There are some things that you can do to do that. Obviously, know the word of God in your life. Let them see you search the scriptures. Read the word of God for yourself. Pass it on to them intentionally. And the idea of this passage of verse 15 is that it was not incidental. It wasn't an accident. It was intentional on the point of mother and grandma to take care and to teach this child, Timothy, the sacred writings. There are a lot of tools that you can do to get that across. Songs are powerful tools for most people uh, to learn the scriptures. We were looking on a verse, Proverbs 15, 1, that talks about how a, uh, a harsh answer or a harsh word turns up anger, stirs up anger, but a soft answer... <laughs> my mind just left me. Turns away wrath. So, so here's the story on this. My wife... Ha- recalled a song that she sung when she was little and most people learn by singing i don't i have the opposite i get confused (laughs) it's sad it's sad i'm telling you and so she's teaching them this this song and i'm messing it up every time every you know um, but use songs to teach your children the word of god We've utilized a uh, an app uh, that we have on the phone. You can get this on the iPad as well. Uh, you can also get it on the website. It, it's, it's called Fighter Verses. Fighter Verses. And it comes with uh, a picture that when you're teaching, if you have a four or five-year-old, prime time. Prime time to start teaching the scriptures to that child. Sharing the Bible stories. At four and five, they are some of the most receptive times For a child to hear the word of God. And so we have this little picture. We show this picture. And we go through the verses. uh, And we associate this picture with that verse. Fighterverses.com You can teach them doctrine. The catechism. That we've employed called New City Catechism. uh, That teaches them this is just what the truth is. Of what the word of God says. Intentionally teaching them. Mom, you're the one. You're the one to do this. Have devotions with your child. Growing up, we always read from Our Daily Bread. Uh, Radio Bible Class puts this out. You can get it on, on email, um, you can get it, um, they're, they're free. Uh, available to you. There's a lot of other devotions, but we would just read our daily bread. Without fail, every morning and breakfast, we would read this just as a thought for us to think about and to uh, sometimes discuss and to pray about. Be intentional about this. One of the things that's amazing is that some parents in our community have delegated teaching their children to our church because our church has decided it would be a good ministry to do a preschool here. And there are children every day here that their parents are delegating this out to us, mainly because of their time or or whatever. Maybe they themselves don't know. Many of them don't know themselves. And they're asking us to teach their children. And and some of them are babies, and they go up to about age five. And we get to teach them about Scripture. I encourage you. Take a part in that. Volunteer. Just be here and see that. It's a great ministry uh, that happens here on, on a weekday. Find children around you. But you know what? You're going to find that just because your, your children, and I would recommend, there is a book, if you have young children, uh, The Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. The Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones is one of the, one of the better books I've read for children. Uh, that are that young age, preschool age, uh, to just share with them about point of Jesus and the point of the Bible pointing to Jesus. Right now, we're, I think we're on our third reading with Evan. He loves it, um, and he, he wants us to read it to him. Uh, so look for those attentional ways. Get them acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. So as we teach them these things, understand God will you, and just pray, God, work through this word. Work through this word. Give them another scripture. Get them thinking through it. It's not just see how much scripture you can go, but how deeply they can think about the scripture that you're bringing to them. And so bring that question to them. Let them think about it. Let them explore. And there are sometimes, they're going to be resistant to this at times, but they're also resistant to eating vegetables. Okay, That doesn't stop you from teaching them to eat vegetables. Um, and so you, you expose them to this. Now, as we read this, and you're thinking, some of you men are saying, well, you know what, Pastor, I'm glad you're doing this. Mother's Day, they need to hear this. It's good. I just want you to notice something, and I, we skipped over this, but I want to read it to you. Uh, In 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, 11, what is the man's role? If the women are helping, teaching their children, and the Holy Spirit teaching them in the faith, teaching them in scriptures, men, what do you do? Paul has said clearly that he counts Timothy as his son my true son in the faith. And so we can look at what Paul says and says, okay, this is what he sees himself in a spiritual father to his son. What does he do? Verse 10 and 11, he says to his son, his spiritual son, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. What is he telling his son to do? He's telling his son to follow me. What your mom and grandma taught you about, I'm doing. I'm living it. This is a pattern of suffering. You've seen. You remember these three paces? The three specific places and what they did to me? You remember how that happened? You remember how I got up after being stoned and went back to the city to preach? You remember that? The endurance that I have? So here's the thing. For dads, Our job is to live it and show them the standard of what it means to be in Christ so that when they think of you, they think of the pattern that they can walk in. So dads, yes, the mom and grandma taught Timothy, but Paul made sure that Timothy saw the standard. How does the Word of God live It lives when people obey and do it. You want the word of God to live in your children's life? Then how is it going in your actions? Do they see you living a godly life where the kingdom of God is made up of the righteousness and peace of joy of the Holy Spirit? That's the challenge that's before us. This world needs Christ more than it did before. This world needs the example and life of Christ more today than it did in my granddad's day. And because I believe what scripture says, that people, evil people will grow from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, I know that in Evan and Canaan's day and Molly and Chris's day, that they will need Christ more then than they do now, because the salvation is still there and the world is Grown apart from God, in the effects of it, the moral compasses has been annihilated, and so those who have a moral compass in Christ Jesus will be deemed weird, strange, and then it's going to go from weird to strange to stupid, foolish, hateful, enemy of the state. Progression. And what? What can my son have when he no longer has the privileges of being a citizen of the United States? What can my son have if he doesn't have freedom? What can my son have if he doesn't have prosperity, money, Is he doomed to be bitter, sad, depressed, pouting? Many will go that way. But those who don't, don't, because they've learned the joy of the Holy Spirit, the peace, the righteousness, the power, the love of the Holy Spirit. Those who don't will not, because they remember the faith, of Christ Jesus demonstrated before them. Those who don't will hold on to the word of God that was taught them by a mom and a grandma. We don't live in Disneyland. We don't live in this world where every dream comes true. And in this world, they do not live happily ever after in this world. But teach your children that this world is not all that there is. And there is another world in which we can live for. So when this world is taken away, they're still rejoicing. Moms, teach, prepare your children. To suffer in Christ Jesus. Because ultimately it's better to be in Christ Jesus and suffering. Than to be apart from Christ Jesus and prosperous. Let's pray.